Hey everyone, welcome back to the 100% Wild Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Chelswick, here in the Drury Outdoors studio, and we're answering your questions on this show. So uh, welcome to everyone who's watching on YouTube or listening via Stitcher or iTunes or uh, whatever Android app you're listening on. We're happy to have you aboard. We're rolling along through the summertime, so excited about the upcoming deer season. It's getting so close, and I know if, if you're anything like me, You've got a list of things to do that you have not done yet, like hang some more trail cams or hang some more tree stands. All, all my stuff is kind of sitting out there as it was last season. So, but I kind of have this weird thing in that um, I like the rush of waiting to the last minute, and and I'm not proud of that. I'm not I'm not advocating that, but but the the, the weird part of me likes it because it just means that deer hunting season is getting that much closer and I got to rush to get it done. So hopefully you've got some stuff uh, taken care of. I've been out shooting my bow a little bit more in the backyard and getting dialed in. Uh, so that feels like a lot of fun, but there's nothing like dialing in on the first deer of the year. It's always such a strange scenario shooting a 3d cause I typically shoot a 3d target out in the backyard but then when that first deer walks by and you come to full draw and you sell the pin on there, just something about that feels magical. So I am, I'm counting the days down. Well, like I said, we're answering your questions on the show as we always do. And if you would like to uh, submit a question for the show, just go to juryoutdoors.com slash podcast and you'll find the 100% wild podcast page where you can go through all the back episodes and uh, and you can listen to those shows you can subscribe on whatever platform you choose to but you can also submit your own question there there's a little tab on the very right hand side and it usually tricks people up they don't they don't see it because it just fits right in the side of your screen uh, but it says uh, ask a question or record a message something along those lines you click it and it opens up your microphone on whatever device you're on and it allows you to leave uh, an audio message for us asking a question about deer hunting, turkey hunting, land management, whatever you want to. So go ahead and, uh, and go to the page, uh, uh, juryoutdoors.com slash podcast, and leave a question for us. Today, we have a question that's coming to us here locally here in the St. Louis area. But before we get to the question, I want to introduce our guest. We have Dan Schmidt from Deer and Deer Hunting Magazine. Welcome aboard, Dan. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me. It's uh, I've been watching your show for quite a while here. The whole team at Drury Outdoors, you guys do a fabulous job, and thanks for having me on this morning. Well, we're really glad to have you because you have some serious deer hunting creds. Why don't you, if, if people aren't familiar with your name, haven't read your work, haven't seen you on television, why don't you tell them a little bit about what you've done in the deer hunting world? Oh, gee, thanks, Tim. Well, I've been here at Deer and Deer Hunting for, uh, and this puts my age right there, almost a quarter of a century Wow. Uh, 24 years. Um, basically, uh, if you're not familiar with deer and deer hunting, it was America's first whitetail specific publication. Came out in 1977 as a product of the Stump Sitters Whitetail Study Group. And deer and deer hunting's MO from the beginning was practical and comprehensive information about deer for deer hunters. Yeah. And um, basically, we cover everything on whitetail biology, physiology, research and hunting tactics that has evolved over the years. We now have a television show entering its 14th year on TV. It will be its On Pursuit channel. It's part of, mm -hmm. it's the anchor show for Saturday Night Deer Camp. Only on Pursuit, 9 o'clock Central on Saturdays. Check it out. It's two-hour block programming, three TV shows, Deer and Deer Hunting, Destination Whitetail, Land of Whitetail, and Game Gamekeepers TV show. 
our website, deerandeerhunting.com, and you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. We're all out there. But my my um, experience, I guess, is through the years. I've, I've written a book. It's called Whitetail Wisdom, and it wasn't – that's kind of a mis- misnomer. It's not necessarily my whitetail wisdom. It's wisdom that I've gleaned the from compilation. over the years. Yeah. And um, that's basically – the thing that I've kind of hung my hat on is I always say, listen to your elders, listen to the people that were there before you, and you're going to, with an open mind, and you're really going to learn more about deer, and when you learn more about deer, you become a better deer hunter. Dan, could you pull out one one piece of wisdom or advice from that book that would kind of seem counterintuitive if people just heard it and took it for face value? That's a good point, uh, Tim. If I had to pick one thing, and this is anybody who knows me, we get really caught up with hunting big bucks these days. Mm-hmm. And the biggest bit of advice that I could give somebody is a lot of younger people, and I don't mean this as a slight, but a lot of younger people have grown up thinking that trophy hunting is what it's all about. and You've got to know what a buck's going to do. What I'd say is the more you know about deer, so the more you know about does and fawns, mm-hmm. how they live on the landscape, how they should be populated on the landscape, the more you learn about the flora, the more you're going to be better educated on the fauna, which means the more you know what specific browse species that you have on your property, invasive species you have on your property, how many deer should be on your property, you're going to become a better deer hunter. Sure. It's kind of like I tell this at uh, school uh talks that I have with grade school kids and high school kids. Uh, one thing that we always said is when you're in school, you have geometry or something. It's like, when am I ever going to use this? The same thing with deer hunting. Can I, can I just tell the kids listening right now that I use geometry almost 0% in, in, my, zero in, my, in my current life? <laughs> just for, for all the kids listening that are wondering how they're going to get by. solving that you're doing there that is probably helping you. It's the same thing with deer, deer hunting. Those things on the property, the better deer hunter you're going to be. Mm-hmm. It's the the woodsmanship aspect of being a hunter. Absolutely, absolutely. Great. Well, so speaking of woodsmanship, let's uh, let's roll the Cabela's question of the day. It's from Jeremy Kerber from Fit to Hunt here in St. Louis. Let's roll that question. Hi, my name is Jeremy from St. Louis, Missouri, and my question is about hunting small tracks. I have a pretty good place to go with a lot of deer, but there's also a lot of pressure around the farm, and it's kind of tricky in terms of getting in there, getting to hunt with any frequency whatsoever, but not putting so much pressure on them that the deer vanish. Also, like I said, there's a lot of hunters around that. So what are the best ways to be successful when you're hunting small pressured farms or tracks that's a mouthful high pressure small tracks and that's i mean if if we're honest that's kind of the reality for most deer hunters out there most most people don't have a few thousand acres that they're hunting exclusively most people are and and, and myself included i'm hunting anywhere from three acres to uh to 300 acres so uh so dan how does that question hit you just kind of first blush that hits me as a reality check, as you said, Tim, as for all deer hunters in America, one thing that I can't emphasize enough, I don't own property. The biggest property that I hunt here in Wisconsin is about 77 acres. Okay. That's it. 
Um, I've hunted, I grew up hunting public land, national forest, northern Wisconsin, really, really hard to hunt it, um, not a lot of deer. So the, the short answer, I'll go give you a short answer and I'll give you a longer answer, but the short answer to Jeremy's question is you have to treat small properties, private properties, almost like you're hunting public land. And what I mean by that is you really, it, there's no magic bullet. Um, a couple key things. Number one is really low pressure. If you're hunting, if you're hunting mature deer, if you're hunting any deer, you can take a different approach. If you're hunting mature deer that you know that you have out there, you have to understand that if you have a small property, you know, 40 acres, even 300 acres, anything less than that, you're talking about half of a square mile on 300 acres, not even 40 acres. It's a fraction. So the thing you have to understand is how you think that that over view it from a bird's Mm -hmm. eye view typically, normally speaking, what we're saying is, for the most part, it's not 100% set in concrete. Mm-hmm. Fox home range is about a square mile. And he's going to pick and choose. As he gets older, he's going to pick and choose the best parts of that as his core range. So as your property part of that core range, um, understanding how deer behave, I guess, is number one. Number two is if you have a lot of outside pressure, use that pressure to your advantage. And one thing that I always did on public land is I basically went in there thinking, all right, I'm behind the eight ball. I'm not going to be able to hunt it whenever I want to. Mm-hmm. Just because I have Saturday and Sunday off doesn't mean I can hunt Saturday and Sunday. I might have to take some of my PTO time to hunt a Wednesday or a Thursday. It takes a lot of discipline to do that, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. It takes, that's a really good point. Discipline is probably number one. Mm-hmm. Knowing how deer behave is number one. Discipline on your part is number two. And how you, approach that property almost walking on eggshells as far as entry and exit routes to your tree stand just because it's five o'clock and you got to get home for whatever appointment or reason doesn't mean you take the fastest way out of there yeah. you might uh, you know jump in a creek and wait it out or, or walk all the way around the property or come out two hours i've done that many times come out two hours after dark have somebody come pick you up um, to try to keep the pressure on those deer down. It's yeah. a great question. Probably uh, it, 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 it ends up being, sure. Yeah. And it ends up being kind of inconvenient. And I, and I, and I, I need to, I need to reference the fact that I just talked about not using geometry in my life. And then you just converted acreage into square miles. So, <laughs> so maybe geometry is a little more handy than, than Don't I give. Math question. Right. Right. You know, one of the acres or one of the, the acreages that, that, that I hunt is like a, it's a nine acre parcel and, and my buddy and I were hunting it. So we had two people hunting it and we, we killed a lot of good deer off of it. And, and he, he put a hit on a really big buck that we just, it, it trailed off into some private property. We we're never, never able to secure, um, uh, permission to go, to go continue trailing it, which was just a shame. But we started recognizing that, deer hunting on the weekend was different than deer hunting during the week, which kind of supports your, your notion about maybe you had to take PTO as opposed to hunting the weekend. And, and at first it was kind of a joke, but then as we started to really dig in, it was absolutely true. And we'd tell our friends about it and they would say things like, well, you know, deer don't know what day of the week it is. And and we weren't purporting that, but deer respond to human behavior 
and human behavior is different on the weekends than it is during the week. So that was, you know, that was a factor that, that a lot of folks that, that maybe don't hunt in areas where there is that much pressure have to consider, but, but we had to literally the, the day of the week mattered. Absolutely. And I would go as far to say as not in a literal sense, but deer do know what day of the week it is based off of pressure. They, as you know, they will, they're going to pattern us just as much as we're going to pattern them. And mm-hmm. over, all those years of hunting public land, Tuesdays were my best day. Really? Why? Maybe that's because I took Tuesdays off more than, more than Wednesdays. Mm. But what I found out is all that pressure, especially on that, those big public uh, national forest pieces, mm-hmm. it was guys took off Friday and they got the Thursday night to hunt Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they went home. And my, I guess, rudimentary way of viewing that was, I'm going to take off Monday and Tuesday, yeah. maybe Tuesday and Wednesday. And it was always given that property an extra day of rest mm-hmm. that there weren't people out there. They finally started falling back into their natural rhythm. Not saying that's, uh, that's going to be the case where you're hunting in Missouri as opposed to where I'm hunting in Wisconsin or somebody's hunting in Maine, but it's something to think about. You have to try. We have a really good series. I don't know if you've seen it. John Eberhardt public and pressured land deer hunter it's a video series on our website um john has hunted almost exclusively public and small private parcels in michigan mm-hmm. the highest highest deer population in the country and these are some of the things that he has helped teach me and and he's got 53 pope and young bucks in the book so i mean it's like he's, he's kind of a guy i want those to listen stuff to. yeah no kidding but well, those are that's the type of tactics that really um, can help turn the corner for you. There's almost two layers there. You're hunting the deer, but then you're also hunting around other hunters. Absolutely. And and that goes no matter where you hunt. Yeah. Unless you've got a thousand acres and you got it all yourself and you don't have problems with neighbors, um, that's the way you got to basically view it. So how do you handle scouting, hanging stands, all those kind of things that do uh, result in pressure but you, you have to do them regardless. Uh, good point. Um, some of the things that I do, I haven't done this as of late because I've got a unique situation here for the past few years, but when I'm doing it by myself, mm-hmm. um, I have a, would always have my tree stands hung in June if possible mm. and basically be out of there. Okay. My trail cameras, I have a very unorthodox approach with that. Basically, I would love to use my trail cameras only as a means of, as a tool to find out if there are certain types of deer on the property. I don't want to fall in love with them because I know putting more, no matter how much I try not to, it's going to put more pressure out there. So I like to get a photo. Back in the day, I would get a photo. That's a deer that's good enough for me and get my cameras and get out of there. And, Mm -hmm. And I'd like to be out of there by July if I can, Okay, as long as I know what's in there. That's changed today. Changed today, not only in the fact that we all love to throw cameras out there and get videos and photos, but it's also changed with some of these cameras. You'll see, like with the new Cuddyback, uh, the Link system. Basically, you sure. don't have to go out there and change the batteries. And there's and there's other cameras out there as well that um, allow you to do it remotely. But for me personally, I like to have that stuff done as soon in summer as possible, mm-hmm. and then leave it alone our season comes in here in the second week of september in wisconsin and um like to that keeps pressure off okay i'll let, let everybody else on the 
outside properties, run around, do as much as they want to do. That actually helps me mm-hmm. because those deer find this is my oasis. Maybe if I do enough right things, that's going to be part of the deer's uh, core area. Sure. Maybe I don't have any control over that. I can do all the land improvement stuff I want to do. I could do, you know, not pressure at all. But the one thing I can control is pressure. Mm-hmm. And uh, how much how much you put on there is going to help, especially uh, your your caller there, Jeremy, with that small property. One thing I and you probably picked this up too from reading my stuff, but I hate to say that I hate to say walk on eggshells, don't let anybody in there, don't drive in there. That to me that takes it to a level where it's like this isn't fun anymore. Wear a hazmat suit when you go in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know it's like. Um, to me, it should always be about fun, and if you got kids, really lighten up because yeah. it's deer. It's a deer. You know what? So mm-hmm. what? You know, okay. So I spooked that deer, and never kill him. Hey, c- congratulations to him. That's awesome. Sure. I've been made probably because I'm so far into, you know, when I was 25 years old, I might not have been saying that. Oh man, <laughs> I want to kill that big buck. Well, now it's like you know, uh, there's bigger things out there in life than to to get too worked up about. Totally agree. Yeah. Like that. So Dan, a subset of hunting small uh, small parcels with high pressure is, um, and we mentioned hunting around other hunters, but deterring people from taking your stuff, <laughs> your trail cams, your stands. Do you have any strategies for making it less likely that your gear will walk? Less likely is that don't go anywhere near the property line if possible. That's mm. a simple. Um, <clears throat> and try to try to key in on areas that are not obvious like i said my my take on this is different than a lot of guys a lot of guys will have a food plot and they want to have three trail cameras on that food plot mm-hmm. i don't want to do that because i want to you know, if i have a food plot i'm probably going to want to have uh, some stands near there yeah so if i can get them in the travel corridors uh, that are not too invasive um that's one thing tree stands man that's a tough one mm-hmm. you know it's really hard Back in the day when I was younger, uh, I've been finding myself hunting off the ground a lot more lately, mm-hmm. and I really do enjoy that, uh, or blinds. Um, I don't leave, I would take my stands down religiously. I couldn't leave them out on public land, but on sure. private land, I would take them down the second the season was over and put mm-hmm. them back up. I'd put them up in June and lock them. But yeah, if you're dealing with that, that's a tough one. Um, like you said, the human dynamic. It really depends upon where you're at. If you don't have good relations with your neighbors, that, that's something that hopefully you can work on to make it better. But if you can't, then that's something you're going to have to strategize around yeah. to try to have people. I mean, and stealing stands, stealing tree, uh, trail cameras, things like that. I, then it's getting to be a point where it's like, I don't, I don't know. you got to figure something else out. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you bring up a great point uh, around neighbors because it's uh, you you really have to think you can't think about the area that you're hunting as a 10 50 60 acre parcel you have to consider the entire picture because that's really what the deer are doing also they don't care where your property line is they don't know that um and 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 there's there's one property that's a great example of this that the the neighbor uh to the west hates hunting Total animal lover, hates hunting, doesn't even like the fact that I squirrel hunt that property. The neighbor to the east wants to have a garden and wants to have 
landscaping in her yard and shrubs and things like that she wants the deer gone and so i know that i've got kind of two blocks while i'm not hunting her property i know that if a deer goes over there that i can i can go retrieve it on the other guy's property not so much so even that influences where i hang my stands um and i've passed on deer that are kind of heading to the other the guy to the west property because i don't even want to mess with the um the drama of of having to go over and try to get uh, access, but but talk a little bit about uh, the conversations you've had or how you how you kind of put together coalitions of neighbors if you do uh, or adjacent property owners so you, that you're on the same page and can avoid some of that. That's a good point, Tim. Uh, basically, that just boils down to okay, like I said, I'm going to show my age here. When I grew up, you knew all your neighbors and you got along with all of them. And that was regardless of, uh, you know, there's some neighbors that just were not really easy to get along with. But you know what? You you still brought them something on Christmas. You still, you know, you still you still stop by to say hi. Sure. You might have been an uncomfortable situation. But you weren't talking about deer. You're just talking about life in general. And as far as dealing with neighbors, that's something you got to really, the biggest thing I see with deer hunters today is, they're spending gobs of money on either buying land or leasing land. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that, when you start throwing dollars around, you start becoming possessive of it. Yeah. And when you become possessive of it, you start slapping up you no know, trespassing signs. You start slapping up QDM signs. You start getting all bent out of shape because some guy's cutting firewood when you're trying to go deer hunting. You have to understand that, like what you said, we're in the minority. There are a lot of people out there who are buying... Uh, rural country land who do not care about hunting yeah. they might they might not care one way or the other but they have other interests they might be grain growing grapes for a vineyard they might be i have a neighbor that does that hmm. they bought 25 acres and they just have it filled with uh with grape vines. okay and it's like we get caught up thinking like we're the only ones out there um yeah. so what it's my advice it's not real earth shattering is that you really got to rein yourself back, become a better, I'm not preaching here, but become a better human uh, <laughs> in, in the fact that you gen, you genuinely care about them. You're not being nice to them because maybe they're going to let you blood trail a deal on the property. You don't be nice to them because maybe they're going to not get their nose out of shape if right. you put us right on the property line. It's just about being a good neighbor. And if you're being a good neighbor that way, um, and maybe, you know, maybe do all these nice things and they're still a jerk to guess what? You turn the other cheek and you still be nice to them. Right. Because yeah. you have to rely on your neighbor. You're hoping that not to trail a deer, but you're hoping that if your house is burning down, they're going to call the fire department <laughs> because they care about you. You know, I mean, it's, mm-hmm. uh, well, this is you're stuff right. that was 3,000 years ago that I, I uh, basically think a lot of people have maybe forgotten. Bit. You're right. And, and for better or worse, we represent the collective of hunters. And so the, the one interaction we have with someone who maybe is not on board with us is going to flavor their entire perspective of who hunters are. And in fact, I, I did have uh, a run in with the, the guy that hunted the, the, that owned the property to the West of where I was hunting. Uh, I was back there squirrel hunting with my daughter, I had my 17 HMR with me and he started hollering, hey, we got horses back here. And, you know, of course, I was taking safe shots and everything, but he heard the crack of the rifle and didn't like it. And so I intentionally laid my rifle by a tree, you know, opened up the bolt, 
and then went over and talked to him because I felt like going over to talk to him with my rifle in my hands was not a good idea just because I, I didn't want there to be any kind of power differential or for him to feel threatened because I want him to have a favorable view of hunters. And I want, I want him to, to understand that 99% of hunters are reasonable individuals. And I've dealt with people just like that. No matter what you do, no matter how nice you are, no matter how many times you take the high road, there you're going to be viewed, uh, justifiable or not, you're going to be viewed as that skanky hunter because you because <laughs> you're killing stuff. Never now heard you, that term you're, before. You're your daughter how to squirrel hunt, which I think is awesome because we don't see that anymore. Yeah, what happened we, to squirrel hunting? What happened to rabbit hunting? No you know, kidding. That's how we grew up, and I think that is awesome that you can that you can number one you can still do it, and mm-hmm. that, that, that what I mean is that somebody's like. Oh my God! You're gonna scare all the deer away, you know, or you're <laughs> messing up our our bedding areas or things like that. There's a time and place for all that stuff, yeah. but um, I guess the the point is the way you approached it, um, putting down your gun, walking over there, even if it's taking that next step and following up and saying, "Hey, you know what? We're gonna we're gonna walk over there. We're gonna talk to this guy." Mm-hmm. It's just have a conversation, saying, "Listen, we're hunters. We like to hunt. Um, we're gonna be respectful of your property lines." Yeah. We're going to be respectful of where we're shooting and that kind of thing. That stuff needs to be done before the season. Mm-hmm. Um, the best relationships that I've seen are where it's almost you don't even have to say anything because they know. I have a situation yeah. like that here where we have a different property, but we have such good relations with our neighbors mm-hmm. that they come to us with the benefit of the doubt first. That's and great. then we say, hey, listen, this is what happened, or this is what happened, or, or we, it, it, that's the kind of thing. It's like if you're hunting with your family, mm-hmm. you know, you got to kind of treat them almost, almost as an extension of your family. It's really hard these days. Sure. Because, um, you know, everybody's not on the same page. The world seems a lot meaner than it used to be. It, it so, really is. And, and, and if we wait for anyone else to be nicer, it's not going to happen. So it's going to, it's going to, it's incumbent upon us to make that happen. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the one of the pieces you wrote, and you you also referenced it in uh, uh, earlier on in our conversation, was waiting a couple hours until after shooting light to get out of your stand to avoid spooking deer. And I I've been in situations where I know getting out is probably going to spook deer, but I also want to want to get home. But let's talk about ways of getting in and getting out of your smaller property that are going to be as, as, as low impact as possible because that, that can make or break a hunt. That can make or break. And the more um, innovative that you become, the better it becomes. I've walked through, I've walked through hog lots to get to a back. <laughs> you may get an award because I don't know anyone else that's done that. Yeah, I've done that. I've walked through, I've walked through horse pastures, although I'm not keen with horses because I'm just breaking out that they're going to attack me or something. But the <laughs> um, uh, best, the best ways are, is if you do have like a little uh, creeks mm-hmm. are the best way for me, I can walk through a Creek with my muck boots on and I can get to a spot, jump, a jump a spot and get in. Um, for me, it's normally going way out of the way. And then basically knowing, <clears throat> excuse me, where those bedding areas are, mm-hmm. where the deer are going to be, and then trying to completely get around that. And then getting to that stand, um, some of the, on the public land, it, 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 we, it's been written about and talked about to death is that, oh, that midday hours from 10 to 2 are the best. Not necessarily the best. Um, they can be the case in some remote areas. 
one thing that I've found, and I've written about this many times, is on really pressured land. Mm-hmm. Okay, we always talk about staying in after uh, sunset. Before sunset, one of the t- John Eberhard actually taught me this trick, and Gary Clancy, the late Gary Clancy, one of the best outdoor writers there was. Ninety minutes before first light, I want to be in that stand on really highly pressured land, especially mm-hmm. when you're talking about when the deer have been it's opening weekend or gun season. And people say, man, why would you get to your spot 90 minutes before you can leave the shoot? Because this is the reason. If I go out of my way to get to that spot, I'm in that stand ridiculously early. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> chances are, I'm chances are, I reduce my chances of spooking deer, number one, especially yeah. if it's a feeding area. Number two, if I do spook a deer, maybe I just bump him a little bit, mm-hmm. there is chance that he could settle down enough that he's going to come back through there right at first light if i bust him on my way in that it's it's over yeah. pretty much and it's you're not going to have a chance so that is one thing really hard to do mm-hmm. to sit there for an hour and a half and then <laughs> yeah. you know, especially if you're like me and you have a bad back or bad knees or something and it's like man i can't sit here but for four hours and now i just wasted half of that in the dark that's tough but it's a good tactic um the other tactics like i said and I'm sure you've done this, but like either wait really far after dark until mm-hmm. that food plot clears or that feeding area clears or that hardwood ridge is you think is pretty much clear or having somebody come in with a pickup truck or an ATV. And um, what I've found with that, people say, well, you're still spooking the deer. Yes, you are. But deer are used to vehicle traffic way yeah. more than me crawling out of a stand and bam, that deer's 30 yards away and he knew exactly where I was. Yep. Is he going to remember that? Uh, I think he's going to he's gonna have some kind of recollection of it for at least a couple of days, and especially if I'm leaving scent town. Sure. Um, that, that's, a, that's a big one. Well, there's something to be said. I mean, and there, I mean, we talk about spooking deer, bumping deer. Really, they're probably, I mean, as though they are binary things. Like you did or you didn't, but they're really probably uh, volumes of that. You know, it's one thing to bump a deer that sees or hears you. It's another thing when he catches your wind and takes off. Uh, so, so getting in way early means that you may, I mean, you're still going to make some noise getting in. And if you're like me, you're probably going to make more noise. You're going to trip over stuff and fall, but, but you're still going to, but I would rather have them hear something and kind of move off a little deeper into the timber than for them, for them to see me and know exactly what the threat was and then kind of put that in their brain and, and put a perimeter around my location then for the rest of the the hunt. Yeah. As you know, once they blow, it's over. I mean, if, if they blow, they smelled you. They saw you, saw you and smelled you. They heard you. Mm-hmm. Eh. you know, that that's like one. Like you said, there's different levels of that. Okay, you bumped them. You might never even. You might not know. You you, you didn't hear the thump 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 him him running away, or you didn't even hear. You know, he obviously didn't blow. You might have just scooted off a little bit. And how many times does that happen? You think, oh man, he's going that way. All of a sudden, half an hour later, and you're done. I always, I always think about that as the deer are politely excusing themselves from the table. They're just, they're not making a whole lot of, they're not, they're not blowing. They're just, you don't, you don't even know they were there. They're just getting up and they're kind of moving away. And they, and they may be back later in the day, maybe not. That's a great analogy. That's a really good analogy. I'm going to use that. Feel free. Yeah, I, I, I didn't copyright it, so it's, it's, it's all yours. Unfortunately, I have a lot of experience with 
politely excusing deer from the area. And and one thing I want to bring up, because it used to be my my concept that if any deer blows, then the hunt is pretty much over, unless I got a lot of time to make up for that. Um, But uh, but we were doing a a, a late season hunt. It was December 23, I think, here in the St. Louis area. And... um, the wind, the winds were, were, where I hunt were in these Ozark ridges and they're always shifting. They're never the same. And we blew some does out and it was probably two thirty or so. But, um, but around five o'clock the deer start pouring back in and we actually killed a, a really nice buck that evening. And, uh, and to me, it kind of drove home the point that in my experience, that deer that blew is probably not going to come back, but other deer that maybe didn't hear that, that are, you know, off in the distance, um, the game is still on for them. So, so it, so getting out of your stand may not be the best thing if you happen to hear deer blowing. What do you think? Great, great point, uh, Tim. That, that is another thing is we get, we get caught up a lot of times with absolutes and there's nothing yeah. ever absolute with deer hunting. I've had that happen many, many times. If a deer, let's face it, deer blow all the time. They're sure. wild animals. They're blowing it. They, they can blow, they blow at coyotes. They blow at anything. Is that just because that deer blew? Does that other deer that's 300 yards away know that there's human there? No. I mean, um, the other th- if there's another deer right next to it, well, okay, those deer ran away. But like you said, there's other deer. They could have had their head down eating acorns, yeah. you know, the ridge over the top. Just because th- I see that a lot. I see that a lot, especially with uh, the videos and TV shows. The guy said, oh, man, he blows this. That's it. Let's get out of here. You don't know. You don't know what's over that ridge. Right. You don't know what, what's do- down in that creek. There's so many things going on. And just because one deer blows, that's it, it might be game over for that particular deer, mm-hmm. but it, it's not game over all the time. One thing uh, Richard Smith uh, taught all of us through his writings, great outdoor writer and great hunter from Michigan, is he wrote an article once for us called Never Say Die. And what he meant by that is he said you just stick it, you stick it out, you're yeah. going hunting, stick it out to the bitter end mm-hmm. and the guys who do that are the guys especially public land hunters public land hunters they stick it out they have a short memory i don't know if you're a baseball fan but they always say you got to have a short memory especially if you're a football fan if you're a cornerback the first thing they teach you is you have to have a short memory you might have been burned for a touchdown on that play before mm-hmm. but you get back in there deer hunting is very similar you have to have a short memory you got to be smart about it but at the same time there's certain things like you know what I'm gonna stay I'm gonna stay put I'm gonna I'm gonna ride it I might have I might have blew it with that opportunity but there might be another one running it's a really good point point. and there's because no harder time, time I'm sorry go ahead we get caught absolute yeah and, and and there's no harder time to stick it out than late season when your stomach is growling your your toes have gone numb and the, and the sun has gone down and just let, the last little bit of shooting light is left and you want to get back to the truck uh, with a little bit of light left so you're not stumbling around. That, but, but, but ultimately, that's when, in my experience, I've killed the most deer, seen the most deer at that very last sliver of light at the end of day, and that's what keeps me coming back. It's, it, yeah, you're right. It's never saying die. It's being an eternal optimist that you're out here anyways. You might as well stick it out because, uh, because you can't kill them walking back to the truck. That's right. That's right. Well, well they- sometimes kill and walk back to the truck but you can't kill them when you're back in the truck <laughs> right right yeah so i mean and and th- that brings up a great point uh there there are times where i will um get down out of the stand and knock an arrow and have my release ready to go as i walk back because 
you know, you know, you could encounter something on the way, on the way to the truck. Well, Dan, are, are there any other kind of small, uh, small tracked, high pressure hunting, um, uh, tips or advice that you would, uh, you'd want to share with the folks? Boy, there's a lot, uh, but basically it's just about being, it's about being smart, being mm-hmm. confident. Don't get depressed because one, and like I said, always understand that this is not, you know, this is not what you watch on TV mm-hmm. and what you watch on TV. I, 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 trust me, I'm sitting here in an office where we edit the shows to make them look like it's all easy. It's <laughs> yes. Even on properties that it should be easy, it's not. Yeah. It's about the, the the word you used in the beginning of this program, and it's about woodsmanship. Mm-hmm. Master your woodsmanship. Be smart on how you approach things. And, and, and I don't want anybody to take this wrong way. Never take the lazy way out. Mm. Don't park there because that's the easiest walk to your truck, or to, to your, I'm sorry, to your stand, or maybe the easiest way back out to your truck. Park in a spot where it's going to be least invasive to not only deer but other hunters mm-hmm. that was a that we used when we hunted public land in the schwamigan national forest in the 1980s finding a deer or seeing a deer was a big thing back then mm. and um we always would park so far away from where we hunted mm-hmm. because we did not want to tip our hand to other hunters to where we were hunting on, on public land and now when you do that with private land like a situation you talked about when you might have an anti-hunter and a non-hunter, don't let them see you walking out there. Not for the fact that you don't want to offend them, just for the fact that that's one extra advantage to you because they might not come try to screw around with you and ride your horses through there because they know you're hunting or, or, or something like that. So it's just about all those little extra things that you do. It's yeah. not about planting this kind of food plot or hanging your stand 25 feet instead of 20 feet <laughs> or you know, or all these other things. It's more of those little things on how you get there, how long you stay, how conscious you are about scent control and and wind direction and things. Those little things add yeah. up to the big thing, and that's consistent success. Yeah, and it's like anything that is real and valuable in life, you're going to have to work for it. There's no easy out. You're going to have to do things that are inconvenient and different than other hunters um, if you want to be successful. So could, couldn't agree more, Dan. Perfect. Well, Dan, if folks want to get a hold of you or see more of your work or read your writings, how would they do that? Sure, thanks. Uh, DeerandDeerHunting.com, spelled out, DeerandDeerHunting.com. I have a blog up there every Friday. Um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just type in Dan Schmidt Deer if you want to connect with me personally, you'll find me. Unfortunately, uh, I do respond to just about, well, I shouldn't say just about. If somebody sends me a message, I will respond to them regardless of how they get a hold of me. Deer and Deer Hunting's TV programs, again, it's Saturday Night Deer Camp on Pursuit Channel 9 Central mm-hmm. on Pursuit. And um, DeerandDeerHunting.com, Deer and Deer Hunting's Facebook page. We're there to try to help everybody enjoy the experience. Yeah, awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much for joining us. One of the things I, I, I did not get a chance to mention at the start of the show, but one of the things I really appreciate about Deer and Deer Hunting is that you will not find clickbait content on the website. Deer and deer hunting is legit deer hunting information with no frills. So I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. And if folks want to well, see, think- yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and that's, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of clickbaity kind of stuff out there floating around. Um, but if, if folks want more Drury Outdoors content, follow us on DOD TV on YouTube, 
Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the all the usual social media uh, places. If you want to get this show, you can find it on uh, on the YouTube channel. You can also find it on the website. You can uh, subscribe there. You can subscribe to the audio version of the podcast. Um, if you want to see our beautiful faces, you can check us out on YouTube. Also, the countdown is on for DeerCast, August 28th. Put it on your calendar. The, the most innovative deer movement forecasting app ever is launching August 28th uh, for iOS and for Android devices. Go to DrewyOutdoors.com slash DeerCast and you'll be able to see a video of Mark and Terry and Matt and I talking in depth about DeerCast. It's free for this first deer season. So you'll get not only the DeerCast movement predictor, which is based on uh, Mark and Terry's combined 70 years of deer hunting experience, but you'll also get the entire back catalog of VHS and DVD titles to 1989. So if you want to see some uh, some old school Mark and Terry turkey and whitetail hunting footage, you can go on there and you can access that entire catalog. You'll see all the uh, the buck kills live this this season as they happen from the team. See journal entries. And we also have uh, articles that we'll, be, that we'll be posting on a daily basis. So that's DeerCast, DrewyOutdoors.com forward slash DeerCast, and you will see everything there is to see about DeerCast. It's free, so go check it out. It's a big deal, August 28th. We're really excited about it, and we're excited to get it into the hands of people and, uh, and for folks to give us feedback on, on their success with it. Well, thank you for joining us today on another episode of the 100% Wild Podcast. We appreciate you listening, and if you, again, and if you want to join the show and submit a question, drewyoutdoors.com slash podcast and, uh, and leave a message for us, and we will try to answer that on air. Well, everyone, for Dury Outdoors, this is Tim Chelsvik saying thanks for watching. <laughs>